Daniel Show, and I'm the Daniel and the frankly part of this enterprise. It's my weekly exercise of our First Amendment rights, and it's an honor to be here today with you. Thank you for joining me, and I, I promise to be good company. Your time is precious, and I do appreciate it. So let's jump right in. Let me ask you, are you a parent? I'm a parent times three. If you're a parent, and I'm a parent, we're obviously a parent to the National School Board Association or the NSBA for short. And yes, I'm ripped because I found out this week that I'm being accused by being a parent by my very association with other parents like yourselves that were domestic terrorists. (laughs) Boy, boy, oh boy, I'm ripped. I shouldn't be, but I am. Why do I say I I shouldn't be? Well, because of the psychological response called um, habituation. Now, you've probably heard about habituation. I'm sure you've experienced it many, many times before. Habituation is a decrease in response to a stimulus after repeated presentations. I mean, for example, a sound in your environment, uh, such as, say, soft music or children playing and perhaps even arguing in the background. Now, these sounds may initially draw your attention or, or even become distracting. But over time, you habituate to these distracting sounds. You pay less attention to the annoying and uh, occasionally aggravating background noise. You tune it out. Uh, This diminished response is called habituation. I've been following politics for most of my adult life. I've been intentionally following it in the past decade, for sure. And in particular, since, uh, say, Donald Trump tossed his tie into the presidential race. I mean, you know, he doesn't wear hats. These last 11 months have been infuriating, exasperating, beyond aggravating. After all, Joe Biden sold America lies about himself being a moderate on his very first day in office, right after he gave his inaugural speech about being a uniter. He proved by signing a stack of prepared executive orders that he was not only a Bernie Sanders quasi-socialist, Uh, but that he intended to jump to the orders of radical progressives and the true neo-socialist in his Democratic Party. And with all that has gone on over the eight months plus since the beginning of his pathetic presidency, you'd have thought, uh, I certainly thought, that I had habituated, yes, that I had habituated to the daily lies and the ugly deceit and to the nonsense of, say, defund the police wide-open international borders, attacks on states' rights to legislate, new voter integrity laws, no no Jim Crow 2.0, as Joe said, to mandating vaccines, to proposals to spend trillions upon trillions of dollars that we don't have to give, give away in social programs and programs that we really can't afford and we really don't need. We can't even pay for the social safety net programs we currently have. I mean, do you know we spend $4 on Medicare benefits for every dollar we collect in Medicare taxes? And don't ask me about Social Security. It's even worse. But then Afghanistan comes along, seemingly out of nowhere, and becomes the worst chapter in American history since Vietnam. Little did we know that the Biden administration was going to collapse in just 10 days after 
beating Afghanistan's government by at least 24 hours in that collapse. It, it, it took 11 days for Afghanistan to collapse, and, and that actually included a weekend. And then there's Miranda Devine at the New York Post, a God's honest columnist. I do appreciate her so much. She fires off an article reviewing just a few of Joe's recent lies. For instance, the southern border is closed. The Border Patrol agents on horseback whipped Haitian immigrants. We will not leave Afghanistan until every American is evacuated. The drone attack on August 29th in Kabul was a righteous strike of ISIS-K terrorists. How about the one Hunter Biden's laptop is Russian disinformation? Or the cost of the Democrats' $3.5 trillion social welfare bill is zero dollars. Yeah, it's free, just like free child care, uh, junior college tuition, and 20 other new spending welfare programs. Then I ask you to hearken back to the second presidential debate between Joe Biden and President Donald Trump. That debate was one of the very few times Joe Biden crawled out of his basement to address the public. Do you remember this statement by then-candidate Joe Biden? 220,000 Americans dead. You hear nothing else I say tonight. Hear this. Anyone who's responsible for not taking control, in fact, not saying I'm I take no responsibility initially. Anyone who's responsible for that many deaths should not remain as president of the United States of America. I'm sad and sorry to say that in 2020, 352,000 people died of COVID-19. We know that not all of this happened under Trump's watch. There are close to 40,000 people we know of that lost their lives in nursing and skilled nursing facilities because of the COVID-19 policies of the governors in New York, New Jersey, and Michigan alone. Also remember, Trump didn't have the benefit of his warp speed vaccines at that time either. But Joe Biden did have the benefit of more science and three, yes, three FDA emergency use COVID-19 vaccines. Yet, during Joe Biden's eight months in office, so far 353,000 Americans have died of COVID-19 compared to 352,000 in a full calendar year of 2020 under President Trump. Now, given what Joe said at that debate, I take it he no longer deserves to be president. But don't count on him replaying this audio clip for you. And the list of proposed destruction from the Democrat Party has been in full bloom these past eight months under Joe Biden. First, they desperately want to do away with the Senate filibuster so they can pass more socialist and Marxist policies and programs and continue to add to the $28 trillion in debt their intent on packing the Supreme Court with four more liberal justices. They want to make Washington, D.C. and Puerto Rico states, adding four more Democrat senators to their current Senate majority. They haven't dropped that idea. They're still for, for, forward ahead on that one. They've already passed the For the People Act in the House. That's the one to federalize all congressional and presidential elections and having the central government control and count count all the votes. Now, this, legis this legislation, as twisted as it is, is meant to ensure Democrats stay in perpetual control of Congress and the presidency. Could you imagine Nancy Pelosi having her office count the votes? Talk about laugh out loud. It's, it's closer to cry out loud. 
Democrats want to give unions the upper hand in labor negotiations by outlawing right-to-work laws in scores of red states through legislation known as the PRO-Act. In reality, this PRO-Act means Pro-Unions Act. Moreover, Democrats want to give unions federal grant seed money so that they can form new unions and expand the crushing reach of labor unions already. I mean, think about the interference and influence of the teachers' union, and you'll see how dangerous Biden's PRO-Act is. I mean, have you noticed that when Joe talks about job creation, he always talks about creating good union-paying jobs. Unfortunately, he hasn't been creating any jobs lately, and in fact, we're losing jobs to China. And, and then there's the push by Democrats to expunge the Henry Hyde Amendment so that Democrats can authorize taxpayer-funded birth control abortions on demand. Uh, to review, in 1976, the Congress passed the Hyde Amendment, which banned the use of federal funding to pay for abortions through Medicaid. In 1980, the U.S. Supreme Court, in Harris v. McRae, upheld the constitutionality of the Hyde Amendment. Now, since then, the Hyde Amendment has been included in every annual Congressional Appropriations Act. Biden's current reconciliation budget proposal of $3.5 trillion has a clause that eliminates the Hyde Amendment for the first time since 1976 and thus will allow HHS to pay for unlimited taxpayer-funded abortions. Now, you, you probably didn't know that, did you? It's buried in the 2,465 pages of this monster of a reconciliation bill. And I ask, what in heaven's name is the bill reconciling? Are we reconciling to be a socialist nation? Anyone that wades through this 2,465-page proposal can, can come to no other conclusion that we're trying to be socialist. What about Biden's Citizenship Act of 2021? Now, this legislation would grant amnesty to 25 million illegal aliens currently living in the United States and give them fast-track uh, fast track pathway to citizenship. You'll be shocked to know how many illegal aliens are on state and federal welfare at the moment. We, the taxpayers, that is, we pay more than 152 billion dollars each year in housing, education, food, transportation, legal and health care expenses for illegal immigrants. And this doesn't include the cost of crime. Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm pro-legal immigration. We already take in more than a million legal immigrants each year. But Biden's open borders policy already is pumping nearly two million more aliens into the country each year. And he has them delivered throughout the country without even giving governors or mayors a heads up that they have a thousand new welfare charges on their hand. We can't sustain being an open borders nation and a welfare nation at the same time. At the current rate, there's approximately 8,500 aliens crossing the border into the United States every day, every day, every 24 hours, yeah, every single day. 8,500 new mouths to feed, clothe, heal, and educate every day. Now, I did international volunteer work for Project Hope around the world for four years before joining Hope for another three years. Now, I no longer have to travel overseas. The problems are walking into our country en masse. Remember, there's close to 6 billion people 
who are just as economically downtrodden and down on their luck as those crossing our border. I don't think we can afford to have all six billion show up, but reports are that there's 60,000 Haitians walking up through Mexico right now to to find themselves under that infamous Del Rio Bridge in Texas. Uh, Back to other Democrat-created problems. How about inflation? For those of you who follow me on Twitter at DFB Harvard, all one word, DFB Harvard, all one word, you know I'm an avid Costco shopper. My, my nerves, prices are going up so fast that as soon as I travel down one aisle to the next, there's a Costco employee, employee trailing me, changing the prices upwards on every other product on the shelves. And the price of gas, gasoline is soaring. And as I highlighted last week, the Administration's Equality Act that will protect someone's sexual orientation and gender identity from discrimination only at the outrageous expense of hundreds of millions of people of religious faith and conscientious objectors. I mean, this legislation will strike down the Religious Freedom Restoration Act of 1993, meaning millions of us will lose our current constitutional religious freedoms and our moral and ethical rights to object to being forced into accepting the LGBTQ community's idea of sexual orientation and gender identity. This means, among other ills, that schools will be teaching this ideology to our children as part of sex education classes. No fooling. I mean, this is a topic I'm coming back to talk about later today. There's nothing equal about the Equality Act of 2021. And what about the main event of the last two weeks? How about mandatory vaccines or lose, lose your livelihood? After paying people to stay home and not work for months on end, the Biden administration and all the blue state governors are mandating COVID-19 vaccinations or else. Uh, to paraphrase Abraham Lincoln, our government of the people, by the people, and for the people appears to have perished from the earth. Now our government, in the same name of the greater good, has resorted to coercion, intimidation, and outright punishment for noncompliance with their wishes. Apparently the dictum, my body, my choice, only applies to abortion, and not to vaccination with experimental drugs. Now, I'm pro-vaccination. Given my age and my leukemia, the choice has always been pretty clear. In fact, I've received the third shot, the booster shot already. But we're not far away from when state governments and school boards will mandate that our children ages 5 through 11 years of age get the COVID-19 vaccination or they're not going to be allowed to attend school. No wonder homeschooling is is growing leaps and bounds. And and you can bet that when they push this mandate on parents, the 65% of adolescents 12 to 18 years of age who haven't been COVID vaccinated They're going to be included in this mandate. But I have to say, as a constitutionalist, I deplore the use of force to vaccinate those who have good reasons to to resist. Now, listen to Mayor de Blasio. uh, Tell it like it is in this audio clip. Most people, the vast majority of people, even those who say I didn't want to get vaccinated, uh, make a different decision when it becomes very, very practical. So now someone is really looking at the possibility They won't have a paycheck for a prolonged period of time. They may even lose their job ultimately. 
Um, a lot of people are going to look at that and say, hold up, okay, I'll get vaccinated. Please tell me you aren't one of those dictatorial personalities that gets off on using coercive force to make people do what you want them to. Um, well, I'm venting today. Yes, I'm, I'm going to get to the Nazis and the National School Board Association, the Department of Justice and the FBI. But allow me to share with you this curiosity I stumbled upon a couple of days ago. Most of us, most of us don't have the time to follow Joe Biden's nominees as they go through the Senate confirmation hearing. When you watch these hearings on YouTube, it's simply unbelievable how ideologically left most of Biden's nominees are. Of, of course, you, you understand that Susan Rice, the Benghazi-lying Susan Rice, is, is calling all the nomination shots from the White House. Now, this means that former President Obama is ghosting as a shadow president. But, but then again, you knew that. While we're still in the first nine months of the reign of Joe Biden, nominees are still cycling through the Senate confirmation process. I was struck by Joe Biden's nominee for the Assistant Secretary for Manpower and Reserve Affairs at the Department of, De of Defense. Now, here's a clip from a Senate hearing last week of Senator Josh Hawley questioning Ms. Brenda Sue Fulton, who is Biden's choice for the Assistant Secretary for Manpower and Reserve Affairs at DOD. Uh, apparently, Ms. Fulton has extreme secular views about followers of Jesus Christ while claiming to be a devout follower of Jesus Christ. Now, listen as Senator Hawley tries to understand her authentic political views about religion and her job, or if she's just cleaning up her radical progressive ideology to sneak through the, the nomination process. This is only a short clip of the full questioning by Senator Hawley. You know, we've heard from a lot of nominees who've come before this committee from this administration a lot about equity and about fairness being top priorities in today's DOD. But I have to say, that just doesn't seem to bear out to be the facts. And Ms. Fulton, your nomination is a perfect example of it. What we've actually seen is targeting political opponents, targeting people who the administration doesn't agree with, trying to silence folks who they don't like. Clearly, it's a priority for this administration because they've been focused on that rather than doing things like, oh, I don't know, managing the evacuation from Afghanistan, where we have, let me remind this committee yet again, 13 service members dead, hundreds of civilians dead, potentially thousands of Americans left behind enemy lines. Why? Because the DOD is focused on their radical left agenda rather than on actually saving Americans and doing their jobs. Now, Ms. Fulton, I'm, I'm, I'm astounded, frankly, that you've been nominated. And listen, uh, religious freedom is twisted to mean conservative Christians can dictate their beliefs to the rest of us. Hashtag Hobby Lobby. Repeal RIFRA. When did you change your view on RIFRA? You told Senator Cotton you're not in favor of repealing it. You were on June 30th, 2014. When did you change your mind? I couldn't tell you exactly, Senator. Why did you change your mind? I couldn't tell you exactly, Senator. I don't recall the details of the Religious Freedom Restoration Act, and I want to be clear that I support religious freedom. I support the rights of our troops and our civilian employees uh, to their religious freedom to the entire extent that the law allows within their employment in the Department of Defense. And I support that in every way as a, yes, sir. Why is it that you think that the vast majority of, of white evangelical leaders are utterly unmoored from the gospel of Jesus Christ? Can you explain that to me? 
Senator, I, I'm a Christian. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. I have had differences of opinion um, from people who um, uh, don't believe in, in full equality for all. Um, but I will say it is wrong. It was wrong for me in that, that moment. And I believe it is always wrong to tarnish an entire group of people with the beliefs or actions of one or a few. And for that, I apologize. You said that uh, if getting a Supreme Court judge who'd outlaw abortion makes all of this worth it to you, referring to evangelicals, your religion has nothing to do with Jesus. You also say 86% of those who consider themselves white evangelicals support Trump. So which part of it is disqualifies these people as Christians? Is it that they are opposed to abortion or they supported Trump or both? Help me understand your thinking. Um, well, I'm sorry to have to have cut that off there. It's really fascinating, the other six minutes of this. But I think you got a flavor for what's, what's going on with these nominees, all the way down to this, way down the list of DOD positions. Now, Senator Hawley and Ms. Fulton were talking about the Religious Freedom Restoration Act of 1993, which is going to be struck out from uh, uh, all our laws by the Equality Act. And she's one of these people that was in favor of seeing this struck out quite some time ago. Now, being struck, I was struck by a couple of things in this interview. First, what a good questioner Senator Hawley really is. Second, while she claims to be a follower of Jesus Christ, uh, so was Judas. So yes, after this mountain of perpetual desensitization therapy, after repeated doses of sick and twisted radical left ideology, after repeated seismic quaking shocks to my system's Catholic upbringing and conservative constitution, I was sure I could handle any news popping up last week. I was positive that I was completely insulated from any major shock to my psychology or my physiology. You could say I was thoroughly habituated to political news. All news going forward was going to be just background noise. White noise, if you will. No, I don't mean white noise as in white supremacy or white privilege noise. I don't even know why I bring this stuff up, but perhaps uh, white noise uh, is akin to white fragility. See how defensive the progressive left has me thinking? Uh, I'm sure you're familiar with the serenity prayer. I recite it every day, sometimes multiple times in a day. In case you're one of, of a dozen who hasn't heard it, it, here it goes. God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. Well, I was sure I could stomach almost any Biden administration news, at least until next June when the political races for the 2022 congressional elections begin to really heat up. But this past Monday, I got a rude and unforeseen awakening. I got instantly unhabituated. I got cold-cocked. I saw the letter sent to President Joseph R. Biden from the so-called leadership of the National School Board Association regarding their hysterical cry for federal assistance to stop threats and acts of violence against public school children, public school board members, and other public school officials and educators. Now this letter opens with, Dear Mr. President, the American public schools and its education leaders are under immediate threat. The National School Board Association, the NSBA, 
respectfully asks for federal law enforcement and other assistance to deal with the growing number of threats of violence and acts of intimidation occurring across the nation. Now, I'm asking you, have you heard of any acts of violence against school boards or school board members or teachers or educational janitors or cafeteria workers? Well, of course you haven't. If any such acts of violence or violent threats had occurred, MSNBC and CNN would be broadcasting from the very site of these acts as if it was the very spot Gabby Petito was murdered. This seven-page letter continues. The NSBA believes immediate assistance is required to protect our students, school board members, and educators who are susceptible to acts of violence affecting interstate commerce because of threats to their districts, families, and personal safety. I say, interstate commerce? Really? I mean, are you telling me parents cross state lines to commit threats and acts of violence against school board members? In order for the FBI to get involved, in fact, for any federal law enforcement agency to be involved, it has to cross state lines. It has to be interstate commerce of some sort. Otherwise, it comes under local jurisdiction and local law enforcement. But come on already, the FBI, what's next? The Navy SEALs are being called in? This letter continues. Coupled with attacks against school board members and educators for approving policies for masks to protect the health and safety of students and school employees, many public school officials are also facing physical threats because of propaganda purporting the false inclusion of critical race theory within classroom instruction and curricula. The letter goes on. This propaganda continues despite the fact that critical race theory is not taught in public schools and remains a complex law school and graduate school subject well beyond the scope of K-12 through classes. Well, first, if you've listened to my early podcast about all things COVID-19, you already know that youngsters ages day one to age 18 years of age have a 0.02% of dying from COVID-19. If you're a healthy youngster, in other words, you're not obese, you don't have diabetes or asthma or an immune disease, it's practically impossible to die of COVID itself. You may also know that there isn't one credible, large-scale, peer-reviewed and published study showing that face masks cut the risk of uh, contracting or spreading COVID-19 or its Delta variant. No European country suggests masking children under the age of 11 years old. WHO disrecommends masking children under the age of 12. Why? Because the science shows that masks cause more harm than good at this age. The Hippocratic Oath states, first, do no harm. Apparently, uh, turned tyrant Dr. Fauci has forgotten his oath if he ever took it. Well, this is an excellent time to take a break before I jump off any more furniture here in the studio. So you all come on back. I'll be here on the other side. Well, my fellow Americans, how did you feel watching footage on the news of domestic terrorists looting our stores and burning our cities down? Uh, You were probably disgusted and angry as much as I was. It's disturbing what's going on. Well, you'd be shocked to know that your shopping habits are supporting these extremists. Companies like Amazon, Nike, Disney, FedEx, it's an endless list. And they've been supporting these radical groups. Let's stop supporting companies that fund these extremist groups. 
We can all do our part. Visit shoptotheright.com and you'll find businesses in a nationwide database and companies that are aligned with our American values. Visit shoptotheright.com and let's all make a difference. Healthy Cell makes a wonderful line of products and I want to spend just a minute with you on REM sleep. Do you know Healthy Cell's product has calming herbs, amino acids, minerals, and sleep hormone support for the four-stage human sleep cycle. Fall asleep, stay asleep, sleep deep, and achieve REM or rapid eye movement sleep. Through the phases, fall asleep easily. That component of sleep is favorably impacted by melatonin, lemon balm extract, and GABA, lowering the body temperature. That element is influenced by glycine, magnesium, and calcium. Deep lasting sleep, L-theanine, vitamin D3, and vitamin B6. And finally, creativity boosting REM sleep, 5-HTP, vitamin B6, and GABA. Many of us think we need to sleep because we're short on sleep, but we need quality sleep. So please consider Healthy Cell REM sleep supplement. I have one tonight and I'm going to have a much better night's sleep if I uh, compared to if not taking it. So go to uh, HealthyCell.com and in the promo box, uh, type in out loud and that'll give you a 20% uh, discount off your first purchase. Let's get real. Let's get loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. This is McCullough Report. Well, there was a time when Americans could rely on the fourth estate. Well, in these challenging times, the media is both reckless and complicit. AmericaOutloud.com. Top analysis from leading experts, articles, podcasts, video, and 24-7 talk radio. America Out Loud Talk Radio. Liberty and justice for all. Hello, hello, and welcome back. Before the break, we were discussing the letter the National School Board Association sent the President of the United States, claiming that 14,000 public school boards across America are under attack by mobs and organized criminal gangs of parents who are nothing less than homegrown domestic terrorists. Yes, you and I are being called domestic terrorists. These are the exact words used in the NSBA's letter to the president. Just before we broke, we reached the following sentences in their letter. Quote, Many public school officials are also facing physical threats because of propaganda purporting the false inclusion of critical race theory within classroom instruction and curricula. This propaganda continues despite the fact that critical race theory is not taught in public schools and remains a complex law school and graduate school subject well beyond the scope of K-12 through classes." Unquote. This statement that critical race theory is not taught at all in public schools is a bald-faced flat-out lie. If you believe this lie about critical race theory not being taught, I have several bridges to nowhere, and they're all on sale. Stop by and I'll sell you a couple of them, really cheap. Go ahead and scan the web and you'll find teachers proud of their efforts to introduce these concepts into every lesson chance they get. 
You will also find any number of outstanding conservative organizations that have constructed detailed critical race theory ebooks, like the one put out by the Heritage Action Group, which is part of the Heritage Foundation, or the Manhattan Institute as well. These ebooks equip parents with detailed information on what critical race theory is, how to spot it, and how to combat it in your community. These numerous anti-critical race theory materials are in response to a nationwide push by radical progressives to actually push critical race theory in public schools. By example, here's the opening sentences to a March 2021 article in the National Review entitled, Critical Race Theory is Dangerous. Here's how to fight it. Quote, People who likely never heard the phrase critical race theory before this summer are now getting emails from their children's schools about decentering whiteness at home. A pro-critical race theory instruction manual written by a middle school English teacher. They're discovering that their children's elementary school teacher has read them a book about whiteness. That's the title of the book, A Book About Whiteness, that teaches them how much color matters, and to encourage them to confront the painful truth about their own family. In other words, they're being raised by racists, and that's just the tip of the iceberg. Unquote. In fact, progressives pushing critical race theory tenants in elementary and high school has become such a large and noticeable problem that scores of states have taken to legislation to ban critical race theory from public school instruction. For instance, here in Florida, my home state, the Board of Education banned CRT from public school classrooms in a unanimous vote and grouped it with the New York Times controversial 1619 Project and Holocaust denialism. In Iowa, the Hawkeye State signed into law a bill declaring CRT a discriminatory indoctrination. In Montana, the Attorney General effectively banned CRT programs in schools and state employee training programs after he issued an opinion labeling the concept discriminatory. In Oklahoma, there's a new law banning public schools from forcing students into mandatory training sessions on gender, race, or sexual diversity. In Tennessee, a new law prohibits public and charter schools from using CRT concepts in curriculum or supplemental materials. In Ohio, the Buckeye State's new law stresses the importance of teaching the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution, along with the Bill of Rights and Social Studies classes, while also banning school district officials from forcing their teachers to introduce core tenets of CRT in the classroom. Now, that was a mouthful, and forgive me, I had to read those out of the states there because they're just a little too hard to remember as you're going through them. But in fact, this is just a sampling of scores of states that have either past anti-CRT laws are, are somewhere in the process of legislating such measures. Unfortunately, there are also scores of blue states, states run by Democrats, that are in fact teaching critical race theory. Now, here's an audio clip of Idaho's Lieutenant Governor Janice McEachin, who's formed an education indoctrination task force to review CRT in Idaho public schools found that the way the left operates is they, they use these nebulous terms so that we don't really understand what is it that they're talking about. Is this American imperialism? Is this critical theory, uh, social justice agenda, critical race theory? What this is, it, it, critical race theory is a religion of secularism 
and guilt, which is an attempt to undermine and supplant our American values with fear and suspicion. I happen to think that's a pretty good definition of what CRT is. If critical race theory isn't being taught in public grade and high schools, then why has the American Federation of Teachers, the nation's second largest teachers union, announced that they have a $2.5 million retainer to defend any teacher who's been sued for teaching critical race theory? This is like my wife putting up a $100,000 fund to defend me should anyone accuse me of screaming satanic verses while shopping at Costco. I know, if schools aren't teaching CRT, then why the expensive racial attitude assessment surveys and comprehensive student and faculty inventories conducted by outside critical race theory consulting firms? Do you know the average cost for big school systems is $2 million for one of these assessments? Just Google this topic and you'll be shocked at the amount of money school boards are spending not teaching critical race theory. Are we supposed to believe school boards are hiring these firms to instruct teachers how not to teach critical race theory? And here's an irony of ironies. Attorney General Merrick Garland's daughter is married to the owner of one of these critical race theory consulting firms. Yes, honest. A.G. Garland's daughter, Rebecca Garland, is married to Zan Tanner, the co-founder of a Boston-based Panorama Education consulting firm. Uh, he is the co-founder of this educational company, which is funded by Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg. Uh, Panorama Education allegedly employs critical race theory as the dominant part of its consulting agency. It also happens to have multiple multi-million dollar contracts with multiple woke school boards across America. Well, back to the NSBA letter, a quote, the NSBA specifically solicits the expertise and resources of the U.S. Justice Department, the U.S. Federal Bureau of Investigation, the FBI, the U.S. Department of Homeland Security, the U.S. Secret Service and its National Threat Assessment Center regarding the level of risk to public school children, educators, board members, and facilities and campuses. We also request the assistance of the U.S. Postal Inspection Service to intervene against threatening letters and cyberbullying attacks that have been transmitted to students, school board members, district administrators, and other educators. Additionally, the NSBA requests that such review examine appropriate, enforceable actions against these crimes and acts of violence under the Gun-Free School Zone Act, the Patriot Act in regard to domestic terrorism, the Matthew Shepard and James Byrd Jr. Hate Crimes Prevention Act, the Violent Interference with Federally Protected Rights Statute, the Conspiracy Against Rights Statute, and an executive order to enforce all applicable federal laws for the protection of students and public school district personnel and any related measures. The letter continues on, As the threats grow, and news of extremist hate organizations showing up at school board meetings is reported. This is a critical time for proactive approach to deal with this difficult issue. As these acts of malice, violence, and threats against public school officials have increased, the classification of these heinous actions should be the equivalent to a form of domestic terrorism and hate crimes. As such, 
the National uh, School Board Association request a joint expedited review by the U.S. Department of Justice, the U.S. Department of Education, and the Homeland Security Office, along with the appropriate training, coordination, investigation, and enforcement mechanisms from the FBI, including any technical assistance necessary and state and local coordination with its National Security Branch and Counterterrorism Division, as well as any other federal agency with relevant jurisdictional authority and oversight. End quote. And the letter drones on forever as the seven pages in total with numerous unsubstantiated claims. I mean, they want everybody and their brother investigating this. And it finally ends with, quote, The NSBA is committed to working with you and your administration as a partner to address this crisis affecting America's public schools and greatly appreciates your prompt attention to our request. We stand ready to work with you. End quote. Now, I have read an awful lot of government letters and letters to the government. I have never, ever seen anything like this before. What this response says to me is that woke school boards and teachers are failing to carry out the Biden administrations, the teachers' unions, the LBGTQ gender activist community, and the radical progressive Democrats' commitment to federalize education and force critical race theory and gender identity ideologies upon resisting students and parents. The NSBA is saying, it's an emergency. Hello, Joe. And we need help right now, Joe. And remember, Joe, we supported your presidential campaign. And Joe, you know we can't force this on parents and students all by ourselves. The only help the NSBA hasn't asked for is the National Guard and the 101st Airborne Division to tackle what is truly an imaginary problem. Notice they haven't asked the religious community or people of faith to help them shove their race and gender ideology down the narrow throats of children. I mean, this, this type of strong arming works just fine at the collegiate level, perhaps, but it, it can't get past the mama and papa bears among parents. Now, on Monday, October 4th, in response to this letter, Attorney General Merrick Garland issued a memorandum to the Director of the Federal Bureau of Investigation, to Executive Office for U.S. Attorneys Assistant General, and to the Criminal Division of the United States Attorneys. Now, this is when most of the sane and insane world learned of this national crisis of terrorist parents on the loose across the nation. Allow me to read into the record uh, this memo from uh, A.G. Garland. Quote, in recent months, there has been a disturbing spike in harassment, intimidation, and threats of violence against school administrators, board members, teachers, and staff who participate in the vital work of running our nation's public schools. While spirited debate about policy matters is protected under our Constitution, that protection does not extend to threats of violence or efforts to intimidate individuals based on their views. Threats against public servants are not only illegal, they run counter to our nation's core values. Uh, excuse me, imagine that. We're going to get a lecture from uh, the Biden administration about core values. Those who dedicate their time and energy to ensuring that our children receive a proper education and a safe environment deserve to be able to do their work without fear for their safety. The department takes these incidents seriously and is committed to using its authority and resources to discourage these threats, identify them when they occur, and prosecute them when appropriate. 
In the coming days, the department will announce a series of measures designed to address the rise in criminal conduct directed towards school personnel. I am directing the Federal Bureau of Investigation, working with each state's attorneys general, to convene meetings with federal, state, local, tribal, and territorial leaders in each federal jurisdiction within 30 days of the issuance of this memorandum. These meetings will facilitate the discussion of strategies for addressing threats against school administrators, board members, teachers, and staff, and will open dedicated lines of communication for threat reporting, assessment, and response. End quote. My nerves. This is all about coercion, intimidation, cancel culture, and federal threats, much like what happened to those naive people who happened to stroll into the Capitol on January 6th. Uh, this is what will happen to you if you dare to attend a school board meeting and, and, and raise your voice in protest. Now, allegedly, some of those people who innocently walked into the Capitol on January 6th, I'm not talking about the ones who went through the windows and stuff. Those people are still in solitary confinement. Now, this is what is called the big chill. It's meant to deep freeze, open, and free dialogue and speech. It's meant to keep parents at home and out of the way of woke school boards. It, it confirms that the radical progressive left can harass and shut you down, but you best not say anything that they can inflate into a, a hate crime or a crime of conservative speech. It says civil rights belong only to the progressive left. Conservatives, concerned parents, and people of faith, they don't have any civil rights. L listen to Senator Ted Cruz question Kirsten Clark the Assistant Attorney General for Civil Rights at the U.S. Department of Justice, about parents as domestic terrorists. But just this week, after you were there, after Merrick Garland was there, the Department of Justice issued a mem memorandum to the FBI instructing them to mobilize against parents across the country, parents of school kids, who have the temerity to show up at school boards and express their opposition to the teaching of critical race theory, a pernicious theory that divides us on racial lines, that tells school children the lie that America is fundamentally racist, that America is irredeemably racist, that all white people are racist. It spreads racial division. Many parents are understandably quite dismayed at schools that are teaching this to their children, sometimes as young as five. And yet the Department of Justice looked at that issue and decided to label the parents objecting to this teaching as domestic terrorists. Did you participate in discussions about the memo before it was issued? Um, Senator, I can't talk about internal deliberations. You can't uh, talk about whether you, you participated in discussions about the memo? No, but what I can tell you is that the Civil Rights Division will play a role going forward. The Attorney General has uh, uh, asked the department to undertake a review, and the division will participate in that review to determine how federal enforcement tools can be used to prosecute uh, crimes. Do, do, um, do you believe parents objecting to the teaching of critical race theory have civil rights in the democratic process? Now, Senator Cruz continues to pursue the questions as to whether parents have civil rights. The reason he's pursuing this line of questioning is because Ms. Clark's nomination and her confirmation to her post as an assistant attorney general for civil rights was incredibly controversial. In fact, she was confirmed by only one vote, 51 to 48 with one abstention. 
I don't I don't follow the question, Senator. You don't understand the question whether parents objecting to critical race theory have civil rights? The the First Amendment is a core value in our democracy. And I didn't um, say free speech, I said civil rights. School board meetings are democratic. That they are petitioning your local government. Do they have civil rights that the voting rights gives a damn about? Yet they have the right to express their view, to uh, challenge uh, the school boards, to ask. And, and is it reforms. beneficial for the attorney general to label them as d domestic terrorists and direct the FBI to target them? The attorney general's memo deals with threats against public servants and says that threats against public servants are not only illegal, they run counter to our nation's core value. Do you believe parents objecting at school boards are domestic terrorists? I don't, Senator. Do you believe Antifa are domestic terrorists? Um, I, I, I don't have a view about Antifa. Or Do you believe the Black Lives Matter protesters who burned shops, who firebombed police cars, who murdered police officers, do you believe they're domestic terrorists? Um, Senator, I believe that we live in a society where people espouse different views, but what we don't want are threats You know, Ms. Clark, it is amazing that you're not willing to condemn people who are murdering police officers and firebombing cities because your politics aligns with them, but at the same time, when it comes to parents at school boards, you're perfectly comfortable with calling a mom at a PTA meeting a domestic terrorist. Allow me to remind you that Ms. Clark is in charge of the Justice Department's Civil Rights Division. Let me ask you, do you believe that Joe Biden received this letter from the NSBA and he, he called up A.G. Merrick Garland and, and he asked him to, to get on the case? As sad as, as, sad as it is to say, I, I'm, I'm not sure Joe Biden knows which day of the week it is on, on any given day, much less who Merrick Garland actually is. I, I submit this string of audio clips of Joe Biden during his campaign the, the last clip in this series is Joe talking in Illinois this last Thursday. He can't remember whether he was on television or on the telephone. Play the radio. Make sure the television, the, excuse me, make sure you have the record player on at night. Four kids are just as bright and just as talented as white kids. We choose science over fiction. We choose truth over facts. Also, we've got state leadership and Lieutenant Governor Julius here, Stanton Stratton, and the Ohio, Pennsylvania, the Ohio, Pennsylvania, I'm from Pennsylvania, the, uh, the, the Illinois president, uh, of the, uh, Don Harmon. And we've got great labor leaders here too. Tim, well, where's Tim? There you go, Tim, thank you. And Robert Reiter, Reader, Reader, R-E-I-T-E-R, Reader, Chicago Federation of Labor. And folks, uh, that's how we beat COVID-19. You know, if I can digress for just a second. Last night I was on the television, on television. I was on the telephone with uh, a person at an emergency hospital ward. I know I'm running short on time today. I've got so much to pack into this tower. We're going to pick this up again next week. You can count on that. But I do want to get in two clips of Senator Josh Hawley questioning Lisa Monaco, another assistant attorney general. Now, there are two clips that I want to play them both for you. They're both just over a minute long. Here's the first clip. Monica, I want to come back to this extraordinary letter and memorandum that the Attorney General of the United States issued yesterday. Practically every day brings new reports about this administration weaponizing the federal bureaucracy to go after political opponents. Frankly, I don't think we've ever seen anything like it in American history. I mean, for those of us who missed the McCarthy era, I guess this president is intent on bringing it to us 
but with new force and new power and new urgency, unlike anything we've ever seen. Are you aware of any time in American history when an attorney general has directed the FBI to begin to intervene in school board meetings, local school board meetings? I'm not aware, and I'm not aware that that, and that is not going on. Let me be very, Really, very this clear. isn't about local school board meetings? That's not the subject of the memorandum? I thought that was in the memorandum. The memorandum is quite clear. It's one page. At, at local school board meetings. Let me just ask you this. Is parents waiting sometimes for hours to speak at a local school board meeting to express concerns about critical race theory or the masking of their students, particularly young children, is that in and of itself, is, is that harassment and intimidation? Is waiting to express one's view at a school board meeting harassment and intimidation? As the Attorney General's memorandum made quite clear, spirited debate is welcome, is a hallmark of this country. Um, it's something we all should engage in. And no, I don't think so, Ms. Monica. Engage. With all due respect, it didn't make it quite clear. It doesn't define those terms, nor does it define harassment or intimidation. It talks about violence. I think we can agree that violence shouldn't be condoned or looked aside from in any way, swept under the rug at all. But harassment and intimidation, what did those terms mean in the context of a local school board meeting? I mean, this seems to me, in the First Amendment context, we talk about the chill, the chill to speech. If this isn't a deliberate attempt to chill parents from showing up at school board meetings for their elected school boards, I don't know what is. I mean, I'm not... I'm not aware of anything like this in American history. We're talking about the FBI. Well, as you can hear, parents as domestic terrorists is a hot topic in the Senate, or at least on the Republican side of the Senate. Have you noticed that uh, Ms. Monaco and Ms. Clark attempt to soften and basically rewrite A.G. Merrick Garland's memorandum? You can get all these documents, by the way, on the web. His, his one-page memorandum, the letter from the, the, the National School Board Association, it's all on the web. Here's that second part of the Josh uh, Hawley questioning I wanted you to hear. You know, all I can say is this is truly extraordinary. I think you know it is. It's unprecedented. You can't point to a single instance where anything like this has happened before. And I think parents across this country are going to be stunned to learn, stunned, that if they show up at a local school board meeting, by the way, where they have the right to appear and be heard, where they have the right to say something about their children's education, where they have the right to vote, and you are attempting to intimidate them. You are attempting to silence them. You are attempting to interfere with their rights as parents and, yes, with their rights as voters. This is wrong. This is dangerous. And I cannot believe that an attorney general of the United States is engaging in this kind of conduct. And frankly, I can't believe that you are sitting here today defending it. I intend to get answers to these questions. You won't answer my questions. I'm going to get answers to these questions. Mr. Chairman, we need to have a hearing on this subject. If you have followed my broadcast these past several weeks, you know I have followed Loudoun County, Virginia as ground zero for all things related to the uprising of parents against the actions of woke school boards. Parents in Loudoun County, Democrat, Independent, and Republican parents, Black and White and Asian parents, fathers and mothers and grandmothers and grandfathers and sisters and brothers, and anyone closely related to public school students in Loudoun County, they formed a nonprofit organization called Fight for Schools to help them combat this very hostile, woke school board there. This school board was so intransigent that the Loudoun County parents decided to launch a recall petition against five of the seven, and the petitions have succeeded in gaining the required number of Loudoun County signatures. 
Loudoun County, by the way, isn't the only group of parents who've collected themselves and formed not-for-profit organizations to combat woke school boards. For instance, parents groups such as Parents Defending Education, the Education First Alliance, No Left Turn in Education, and Moms for Liberty are just a few, a very few of the groups who've incorporated as not-for-profits. Moreover, there are scores upon scores of board member recall petitions being circulated by these parent groups and signed by parents across the nation, so you are not alone. This is what the National School Board Association is responding to. This is what the Biden administration is responding to. If the administration is going to be successful in federalizing education, they must have the support of progressives and the seats at local school boards. This harkens back to House Speaker Tip O'Neill's dictum, all politics are local. Everything political starts right at home, right in our backyards, where we meet for cookouts and neighborhood parties. Joe Biden's instructing Merrick Garland to mobilize the federal government's law enforcement agencies to monitor and intimidate us. Well, Joe has finally united parents across America. Well, we're at a close for today's program. I, I simply can't believe how, how fast an hour can fly by. But I'll be back next week to follow up this story and to present more news about the woke world we live in. I do look forward to seeing you at the next Open School Board meeting. I'll save you a seat. Don't be intimidated. We're defending our children. I do look forward to next weekend when we can continue talk therapy. Until then, cheers and blessings to all.